0: These days, you're almost expected to leave your job every few years, even switch careers a few times. But Queen Elizabeth II held that one gig for 70 years. She was Britain's longest serving monarch and oversaw the end of her family's empire. And even though she was 96 years old when she died yesterday, a lot of people were still shocked. And a lot of people were celebrating, especially online. (laughs) There was, after all, colonialism, the troubles, the inbreeding, the racism, the hush-hushing of pedophilia, lots to dislike, but coming up on today explained what people liked, why the world's gonna be mourning Queen Elizabeth II for the next days, weeks, months, years, and whether the end of her reign is also kind of the end of monarchy.
1: Download the
0: Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your
1: first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens.
0: Explained, Sean Ramos from, joined by Helen Lewis from The Atlantic, who wrote eloquently about the Queen upon her death. Much more eloquently than, say, R.I.P. Bozo, which was trending on Twitter in the United States, at least, for some time on Thursday. I asked Helen if that surprised her.
1: Well, it's not necessarily that surprising that Americans should feel some anti-monarchist sentiment. You know, you did have a war to get rid of them. Um, so I can understand that for some people in America, they might be particularly thinking, well, God, why is everyone talking about this? This is a an inherited wealth and privilege that we tried to get away from. But I think that underestimates the level of interest that there is in the Queen. and And some people therefore kind of performatively saying that they're not interested in the royal family is kind of part of that. You know, whenever I write a story that touches on Prince Harry, Meghan Markle, the Queen, it always does enormous traffic in America. There is a huge level of of interest in in the Queen. She's maybe the most famous person in the world. Um, There was an amazing stat on Twitter, which I hadn't quite thought about in this way. She's been on the throne for 70 years, which is essentially a third of the time that the modern American state has existed. You know, It speaks to the fact that why this is such a big moment is that for most people in Britain's lives, whole lives, she has been there and on the throne. I guess one slight
0: pushback on on that argument is that, you know, for a lot of people it may seem like she just kind of sat there for 70 years and, you know, waved her hand and did some ceremony, did the pomp and circumstance. Do you think people are missing something?
1: I don't think that's pushback because I think to some extent she used to say, you know, um, I have to be seen to be believed. So there is a huge role for a monarchy that is literally about symbolism. It is about being a kind of symbol of continuity and stability in the country without then necessarily doing anything. And one of the reasons for her enduring popularity was because she didn't get involved in political fights. She exemplified Britishness in a way that was not left-wing or right-wing, not conservative or liberal. So she was a kind of above the fray in in that sense. You know, she didn't talk about her political opinions. She was just somebody who was there to go and open new museums and railway lines and do walkabouts. That was specifically to her the point of being a constitutional monarch.
0: Remind us when she ascended to the throne.
1: She ascended to the throne in 1952. Her father was the second son of the previous king, so hadn't been expected to take the throne. But his elder brother, um, Edward VIII, uh, abdicated the throne for an American divorcee in 1936. Uh, So that then leapfrogged her to being the, the heir to the throne. And the throne passes to King Edward VIII's younger brother and his wife, whom we have known and loved for so long as their royal highnesses, the Duke and Duchess of York. To the new sovereign, King Albert I and Queen Elizabeth, And to the little lady who is now heir to the throne, long life and all happiness. She was then brought up with the expectation, you know, if a brother had come along, she would have been kicked out of the succession, but she only had a younger sister. Um, And so she lived through the war as a very visible symbol. And we are trying to, to bear our own share of the danger and sadness of war. We know, every one of us, that in the end, All will be well, for God will care for us and give us victory and peace. She was essentially a Girl Scout. She trained to be an army mechanic, and then she started to deputise for her father, King George VI, because he um, he was always in quite bad health by that point. And she was on a royal tour to Kenya when the news came through that he had, in fact, died. You know, she was a young queen. It was seen as this kind of moment of great renewal for the country that after having lived through the war, there would be a kind of sense of national renewal and a new chapter and a new kind of birthday for the country with this young woman on the throne.
0: And as a young queen who spent most of her life not expecting to ever be in this position, was she chiefly learning on the job?
1: Well, she had a strange education. She never went to school. She always had governesses. So she had, I guess, what I always call a very Bridgerton education, right? The kind of things that a young lady would have learned in previous eras.
0: I ride, I paint, I sing, I dance. I can divide and multiply. I even construct my own hats.
1: And so, yeah, there are things you can probably only learn by doing it. And there are things that she had to learn all the way along her reign, particularly dealing with the media, which changed enormously. You know, when she took over the throne the media was incredibly deferential um, to politicians as well as monarchy. And you know by the time we get up to 2022, I don't think any of us would argue that that is the case anymore in quite the way it was now. I think the monarchy gets a hell of a lot more deference than politicians, but it's still nothing compared to, to the way that it was treated in the 1950s.
0: What was the first major test of her reign over the British Empire?
1: I think the decolonization process was challenging for the British monarchy, and she was instrumental in embracing the idea of the Commonwealth becoming something new, becoming a kind of club of people who wanted to be there rather than had been forced um, to be there. I went back and looked at the um, brochure for the coronation of the Queen in 1953, and on the first page are all these coats of arms of countries that no longer exist. So Aden, which is now part of Yemen, Bechuanaland, which is now Botswana, southern Rhodesia, which is now Zimbabwe, Ceylon, which is now Sri Lanka, Basutoland, which is now Lesotho, Sarawak, which is now part of Malaysia, British Honduras, which is now Belize, Swaziland, which is now Eswatini. You know, so this is a kind of story about a world that doesn't exist anymore. Um, and some of those countries have more happy relationships with Britain than others. You know, some of them have very strongly turned um, against Britain. Some of them have come to more of an, a kind of an accommodation. The problems really started, I would say, in the early She had what she called the Annas Horribilis, the terrible year. When her children started to get divorced, get into marital troubles, um, Windsor Castle burned down. For the Queen, it's a home, a place of family memories. For the world, it's a symbol of Britain, part of our national heritage. And that was the point where she decided that the monarchy really had to reform itself and change. So she did a number of reforms. She started paying income tax, which, classically through history, very few monarchs have voluntarily given up money, given up power, and she did both of those things, actually. Um, And then if you're familiar with the work of Peter Morgan, not just through the Crown, but his earlier work, The Queen, that depicts very well the problem that the royal family had in 1997 when Diana, Princess of Wales, died, and they were quite flat-footed about how to respond to it. So, what would you suggest, Prime Minister? Some kind of a statement?
0: No, ma'am. I believe the moment for statements has passed.
1: They couldn't deal with this overwhelming outpouring of national mourning from a family who had been taught always to kind of repress their emotions and you know keep a stiff upper lip. That's the way we do things in this country. Quietly with dignity. I think that was a, a moment where actually in most in my lifetime felt that the monarchy was closest to being irrelevant or something that people felt that they were peeling away from. But that has completely changed again in the last 25 years to people coming round very strongly to the monarchy. And, you know, Republican sentiment in Britain is here, but it's it's always been pretty low, actually. There's no really serious movement for republicanism, which isn't true in lots of other places that have the Queen head of state. You know, Australia has already had at least one referendum on getting rid of the monarchy. It, I sense it might very well now have another in the next couple of years.
0: How do we go from the, the country feeling that the monarchy is completely out of touch around the time of Diana to the country once again being behind the royal family? What is it that she does?
1: Well, I think a lot of it was about the fact that people softened particularly towards Camilla Parker Bowles, as she was, who was Prince Charles's mistress. And people felt that Diana had been very badly treated by Charles in that relationship, and that she was hounded by the press After the divorce, particularly. And that's something I think that Prince Harry has always felt very strongly and has seen in his own relationship with Meghan Markle. He sees this terrible echo of the fact that he feels his own mother was persecuted by the press. So I think as that faded away from memory, and then Charles and Camilla got married in 2005 and have been very boringly, happily, as far as anyone can see, married ever since, you know, no hint of anyone else, any scandal. To me, the real tragedy of the Charles and Camilla story is that I think Charles has really only loved one woman throughout his entire life, but he wasn't allowed to marry her because she was already divorced, you know, in the 1980s. And I'm sure he loved Diana and he loved their children. But I think, you know, had it been okay for a future monarch to marry a divorced woman, he would have just married Camilla and they probably would have been very happily and boringly married this entire time. So I think people have kind of softened on, on that. And that has helped. When they first got married... The the announcement was that Camilla was only going to be known as Princess Consort. She was never going to be known as Princess of Wales while the Queen was alive. And she was only going to be Princess Consort, not Queen. And that was only when the Platinum Jubilee was approaching that the Queen put out a statement saying, when Charles becomes King, I want Camilla to be known as, as Queen. And that marks a huge rehabilitation for Camilla. Um, and kind of therefore by extension for Charles too, that you know he had been quite an unpopular figure and that now there was a sort of level of acceptance that he was going to be the next king and this was going to be his queen.
0: That being said, I mean, the queen served for 70 years. Charles is 70-something years old. He's got a long storied history of scandal and unpopularity and just being the butt of jokes in a way that his mother never really was is there a chance that the end of Queen Elizabeth II is thus the end of her royal family?
1: That's something that people have been talking about for a really long time here. I'm hesitant on the basis that if you look around Europe, there are quite a few extant royal families, and a lot of them have had their own share of scandals. Um, You know, For example, the king, as he's called, the King Emeritus of Spain is now actually living outside of the country because of charges related to embezzlement. There are some much more scandal-plagued royal families than the British royal family, um, who are nonetheless kind of staggering on. It would be quite a big thing for us to have a referendum and for the Republican side to win. I would be surprised if that happens imminently, looking at public opinion now. But I think you're totally right to say The media's treatment of Charles is very different to that of his mother, and the affection people feel is very different to the affection they felt for his mother, so something definitely has changed overnight with the Queen's death.
0: Support for Today Explained comes from Mint Mobile, the only cell phone that tastes good. When the deal is too good to be true, there's probably a catch, right? That incredibly cheap flight to Europe, you probably can't bring a bag or pick your seat or use the restroom. So when I tell you that Mint Mobile offers wireless plans for just 15 bucks a month, when you purchase a three month plan, you're probably wondering, what's the catch? Well, according to Mint Mobile, there is no Equivalent to $15 a month, new customers on first three month plan only, speed slower above forty gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply, see Mint Mobile for details. and help you stress less and sell more. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash explained. Go to shopify.com slash explained now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash explained.
1: Perhaps you would like a marmalade sandwich. I always keep one for emergencies. So do I. I keep mine in here. Oh.
0: For later. Helen, for, for those who are unaware, what is it even that the monarchy in England does anymore?
1: Well, it's woven into the fabric of British life in a way that I think we're probably only going to fully realize in the next couple of days simply because we haven't had a handover. But like let me give you a couple of really simple examples. the Queen is on all of our banknotes. You know, there is someone on the other side, but the Queen is on one side of all of our banknotes.
0: I grew up in Canada, and she was on on one side of all the currency there, too.
1: Well, there we go. I mean, that is all going to change. She's on all of our postage stamps, Um, and so those will now be updated with Charles, and he will be facing the other way because it flips every time the monarch changes. Um, All of our senior lawyers, our most senior lawyers are known as QCs, Queen's Councils, so that will now become King's Councils. Uh But, you know, all the way through the... Year she was patron of various charities, things like the National Theatre. She would go and you know do civic stuff. She would kind of do the kind of stuff that you know, Kamala Harris is probably even now going and kind of seeing some community school production of something. That's the kind of thing that you know the, the, the Queen does uh, in, or has always done in, in Britain. And then she hosted a lot of garden parties in which, you, if you had done great you know charity or community work, you were kind of invited to them as a reward. And they're you know. I was probably to say hundreds of thousands of British people have done that over the last couple of decades of her reign. So the idea is just to be everywhere as a symbol of kind of civic national life.
0: And she's been old for an incredibly long time. How has she prepared Charles or even Charles's sons for what comes next?
1: They're a long-lived family. Queen Victoria was on the throne 60-odd years. Um, I'm trying to think of the exact date, 1837 to 1901. And the Queen's mother lived to 101. So, you know, it, it was always kind of assumed that she would probably be around for a very long time. The question has been, therefore, about the fact about Charles inheriting. Is, is he too old to inherit? You know, has he very set in his ways? He does feel like much more of a, a figure from another time in a way that William doesn't.
0: Uh, Prince Charles, for example, has 149 servants, 25 of them personal staff. No maids, butlers or cooks
1: for William and Kate. So who will make the bed and butter the bread? Well, they will. There's a famous story about Charles having his toothpaste squeezed onto his toothbrush by his valet.
0: (laughs) Which I just don't get. It's got to be so much easier to do it yourself. I don't understand. Yeah. How do Brits feel about a King Charles at this point? Or a King Charles the Third, I should say.
1: Yeah, it's not the regnal name with the best antecedents because Charles the First got his head cut off, and then we had ten years of a protectorate. But then we invited his son back, and he became Charles the Second. So you know, swings and roundabouts on that one, I guess. Mm. I think there's a lot of residual goodwill for him in the sense that he is now somebody who's, who's mourning the death of their mother. I don't think we'll we'll really be able to take a gauge on that for Another couple of months simply because I think this is a huge shock to people in Britain. I know it's very unexpected for a very long time, but it you know it had the quality of a sort of fairy tale that you couldn't really quite believe it was going to happen, mm. and also because there's just so much sort of stuff to get through in terms of the state funeral and then the coronation, you know, which can be that Queen Elizabeth II was crowned after succeeding to the throne in 1952, so it just could be a huge set piece that would take a long time to put together. And so, I would think about around the time of Charles's coronation will get both a much better idea of what kind of image he wants to present of the the monarchy. You know, who is he inviting to that coronation? You know, what which people are performing there? You know, what um bits of the ceremony are being kind of subtly tweaked in whatever ways. Is it still going to be a lot of, you know, dukes and posh girls in lovely frocks? Mm. Or is you know, or is there gonna be some attempt to be slightly more modern about it? And I think that will give you a much better idea of both of his approach and also how whether people are genuinely enthusiastic about the idea of King Charles or whether or not this is something that we sort of need to go through. Because the wedding of William and Kate was a genuinely joyful occasion, as was the wedding of Harry and Meghan for all that, that story went sour very quickly. Were you silent or were you silenced? You know, there have been monarchical events in Britain that people have just generally, the overwhelming sentiment has been really positive. And I'm not sure that's true of the coronation, but we, we will see in due course.
0: You're presenting a scenario in which Charles does in fact embrace the job of being king after 70 some odd years, does that mean there's no chance that he just abdicates and says, you don't need another old person in this job? Here's my son and his wife who don't have a housekeeper?
1: I find it really unlikely. He has been training for this job his entire life, and he's now taking on this job after the time in which most people have retired. Right. Um, You know, and notably, the queen didn't abdicate it, you know she she absolutely could have done um the queen of the netherlands abdicated a couple of years ago it's not unknown among modern european royal families to do that and say you know what I don't, the hours are really getting to me i've you know i've shaken enough hands and accepted enough bouquets from adorable little children i you know i just fancy putting my feet up and watching the tv even a pope a pope did it in recent memory right yes exactly yeah benedict the 16th of it um so it's you know it it is an option but again i i think her conception was very much that you know you had been anointed by god and therefore you carried on until the end and i'm whether or not charles has exactly that view i think it would be I mean, there was a lot of discussion about when he, you know, which again you'll have seen depicted on the crown if you've watched that, the Australian tour he did with Diana early on, and his jealousy about the fact that people were really excited to see her and not so excited to see him. The final screw, honestly. Putting faces, horsing around while I'm trying to do my job. Oh, I was blushing, blushing at your compliment. People were laughing at me, laughing in my face at the end of a week in which half of Australia has also been booing me. I don't deserve this. This is supposed to be my tour. My tour as Prince of Wales to shore up one of the key countries in the Commonwealth at a very delicate moment politically. And thanks to you. Thanks to me, people have shown up. Thanks to me, people are interested. No, thanks to you, people are laughing in my face. And there have been persistent rumours that there's been a similar thing about William and Kate in a kind of sense of the, oh, why do, why do people seem to love them and got very excited about them and they've never felt like this about me? So I think it'd be very... I would be very unexpected if he just did decide that he, you know, after three years, he, he was actually quite tired now and he fancied a rest when he's been waiting his whole life for this opportunity and is somebody, I should say, with very strong political views that he has always wanted to enact.
0: And what are those strong political views?
1: Well, for example, he's very against modern architecture. You know, he really doesn't like brutalist architecture. If you show him some <laughs> poor concrete, he's very unhappy. He <laughs> sponsored these model villages in um, somewhere called Poundbury that you might say are kind of quite twee, but, you know, were very built along very traditional lines. He was always a big champion of organic food. I think that was probably mm. paid off. You know, and he... Lobbied for sort of different developments in London through these series of memos to to ministers that were called the Black Spider memos because of his terrible handwriting. Among the issues, there was restoring huts in the Antarctic, badger calls, and Patagonian toothfish. though so that is that. Expensive? Yeah. So he's got strong opinions on food, on architecture. You know, not straightforwardly left-right political views, and I don't think he would ever get involved in a particular politicians or anything like that. But uh, his his ideas about sort of traditionalism, I guess. Are there, and I think he'd be quite keen to kind of push them further. And even those
0: few issues on which we know he has, you know, clear political stances, that seems to be more than we knew about his mother's politics.
1: Yeah, I mean, she very deliberately cultivated this air of mystery and mystique around it. You know, there were some experiments in the '60s, '70s, '80s, even about, you know, engaging with the press, but. The last thing I can really remember her being interviewed for was a, ju- a jubilee programme about the crown jewels and the coronation. So there are some <clears throat> disadvantages to crowns, but, but otherwise they're quite important things. So, you know, st- staying way away from anything that was, you know, in any way controversial. David Cameron, the former prime minister, suggested that she was very, very happy that Scotland didn't go independent. And then another minister suggested that she would have backed Brexit. Which I remember my colleague at the time saying, well, look, this is, you know, a woman aged over 65 with no degree. Like, that is the demographic of a Brexit voter. So we shouldn't be surprised. <laughs> All she said in the run up to the Scottish independence referendum, she made some comment to somebody else who was waiting for outside church. Queen Elizabeth II also broke her silence on Sunday and urged Scots to think very carefully about the future. Mm. And this was interpreted as her saying, don't do it, don't, don't go independent. But that was as far as she would ever gone in public to back a particular political cause. And this is
0: something that made her beloved.
1: I think it did. I think it's key to the appeal is the turning yourself into a kind of quasi religious symbol of the nation, something that is above politics. Some of the most sort of patriotic queen-loving people are people in Britain who run corner shops, like our version of bodegas, right? Mm. Quite often you go into that and you'd see that people would have, you know, Diana memorial plates or coronation mugs. And I think there's an interesting strand where sometimes recent immigrants to Britain liked the idea that there was a symbol of Britishness that was non-political and was open to everybody. And you could say, yeah, I really love the Queen. You know, I'm here, I'm British now. Although the royal family is obviously an incredible symbol of privilege and elitism, there was a, a cross-class, cross-race interest in her as a version of patriotism that was available to absolutely everybody.
0: Helen Lewis, she's a staff writer at The Atlantic. Our show today was brought to you by Avishai Artsi and Hadi Mawagdi, with help from Amanda Llewellyn and Amina Alsadi, Paul Robert Mounsey mixed and mastered, Matthew Collette and Serena Solon fact-checked. It's Today Explained.